Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Studying through the book of John, and we come to a very small passage. It's actually only a couple of verses today. And the Bible scholars, when they look at this small passage, the kind of anecdotal story that you're going to see today, a lot of them feel like, hey, this story really isn't that important. But as I read these few verses, and I'm not exaggerating, these verses captured my heart decades ago. And I have reflected over and over and over again about these couple of verses from the Gospel of John. Because what I've done is put myself in the shoes of the guy that we're going to hear about today and thought, what would this be like to be him at this moment in Scripture? We are going to talk about spiritual warfare and we're also going to talk about the name of this church. When we say two cities, I want you to understand it is not Phoenix City, Alabama and Columbus, Georgia. Those are not the two cities that we're referring to. As the sermon goes along, I'm going to describe the two cities that we're referring to. And these two cities are by default um, two cities that demonstrate you are part of a spiritual battle, whether you want to be or not. And I'm just going to be honest. Some of you that are going to hear this today are going to be a little bit challenged by this because maybe you're that person that has this innate desire to run from conflict. Like you don't like conflict. Conflict makes you very uncomfortable. And so every time there starts to be controversy or conflict, it shuts you down. Well, this sermon today is actually going to be challenging for all of us, but it might especially be challenging for you. There's an example in scripture of a guy who just by living and breathing, just because his heart is beating right now, he becomes a lightning rod for controversy. And I think what you're going to see from Lazarus today, from John chapter 12, is how you and I, because we were sons and daughters, dead in our sin, called out of the grave and made alive by Jesus Christ, we found ourselves exactly where Lazarus found himself. And I'm also going to challenge you with this statement that we use a lot around here about pushing back darkness. And here's really what I want you to understand from the Bible today before we go any further, uh, farther, further, I don't even know what I'm saying right now. Um, I need you to understand that we're gonna have kind of a wartime sermon today because you are in spiritual warfare, whether you wanna recognize it or not. And here's what I need you to know from the screens. Light. Just look at science. Look at every example anywhere in the universe. Light must fight darkness. There is no example anywhere in the universe. You cannot give me one example from science where light and darkness can exist in the same space at the same time. Every time light enters, darkness must be pushed back. And when we talk about pushing back darkness as a church, we are really describing this spiritual fight that happens all around us physically when you flip on the light in a dark room at night. But we're not talking about physical light today. We're actually talking about spiritual light. So if you're with me, go ahead and say, I'm with you. Okay, I just walked you into a trap. Congratulations, you just walked right into the middle of an ambush. 
we're using wartime language. Because Jesus said, you, Christian, are the light of the world. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It would be wrong, it would be inappropriate for that city to hide its light, which means you, Christian, must fight darkness. Whether you want to or not, whether I enjoy it or not, you and I, by our very default, when Jesus made us the light of the world, he put us in a battle and made it inevitable that we're going to have to fight darkness. And maybe one of the graphic examples of this in very few words, but in very bold description is Lazarus after Jesus did a miracle in his life. To catch you up, if you weren't with us in John chapter 11, Jesus has some very good friends. They live in a city called Bethany. They're very dear to him. Two sisters named Mary and Martha and a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is away. The sisters reach out to Jesus and beg him, stop what you're doing, come quickly because my brother's almost on his deathbed. And Jesus drags his feet and Lazarus dies. And Jesus did this on purpose. Jesus shows up four days later and the sisters fall down on his feet and say, Jesus, if only, Pastor Troy demonstrated that beautifully a few weeks ago, if only you were here. But now it's too late. And I'll see him again in heaven one day. And Jesus said, you don't realize who's standing in front of you. And he told him to roll away the stone. And then he called that man who was dead out of the grave. And when Jesus called that dead man by name, he walked out of the grave. And he did the exact same thing to me when I was a 13-year-old boy dead in my sins. And he did it for you, his daughter, or you, his son as well. He called you out of the grave of sin, out of your sin and into new life, new birth with him. And today, Lazarus becomes public enemy number two. Jesus is public enemy number one, but Lazarus is public enemy number two. And I just need you to know something. Lazarus did not do anything wrong to deserve what we're going to read in the Bible. He just came out of the grave like Jesus called him. And now he is hated. And actually, there's a contract out on Lazarus's head because he had the audacity to listen to Jesus and to come back from, I want to say, come back from heaven and to spend a few weeks, few months, I don't know, a few years on planet Earth. This is Jerusalem. This is the Passover, which means there's huge crowds when Jesus and Lazarus are hanging out among those crowds. Lazarus's very existence is a lightning rod for controversy. Look at what the Bible says, John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is all we're going to look at today, just these three simple verses. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. This he is Jesus. Remember, the Jewish leadership said, if Jesus shows his face up, you let us know because we're going to kill that man. He's public enemy number one. Then a large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus actually showed his face in public, that he was there. And they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. Does everybody see on the screens how Lazarus is now drawing a crowd? You guys see this, right? This is a problem for the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. 
the one who he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also. It says also because they have already put a contract out on Jesus' head. We're going to stop this rebel rabbi from drawing people away from us and to him. And now that Lazarus has the audacity to show up in public, we're going to have to kill Lazarus too. The chief priest had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews, and here's their motive, were deserting them and believing in Jesus. And I want you to know that Lazarus did nothing wrong, but his very presence makes him a lightning rod for controversy. Because when they see a man that has been changed that much, it's impossible to deny, to deny who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at controversy from two different angles for just a moment. We're going to use this moment in Lazarus's life when Lazarus learns, hey man, there's a contract out on you and people want you dead because you're, uh, many people are believing in Jesus because of you. And I want you to learn a lesson from Lazarus. And actually, I'm going to put a challenge in front of you and ask you to do one thing as a result of this lesson that we're learning from Lazarus today. We're actually going to learn really only one lesson, but we're going to look at it from, from two sides. It's basically two sides of one coin, and it's the lesson of controversy. And I'm going to bring a couple of other scriptures to bear on this question for us of how should a Christian approach controversy? But I want you to know that Two Cities Church's very existence is not just to sit on our hands and to wait idly by until Jesus comes back and calls us to heaven. Our very reason for existing, the reason why Jesus left his church on planet Earth is the reason why this church exists. And it is to push back darkness and to make much of our glorious God. In fact, the goal of every Christian is that people would see your good deeds and they would give glory to your Father in heaven because of the way that you and I live. And when you do that, it's going to cause controversy. And here's the two ways that Christians typically deal with controversy. The first way is there are some people out there, and let's just be honest, they're very controversial. They're kind of judge, they're very judgmental. They're kind of jerks, to be honest with you. And they just run to controversy. They look for controversy. They're the kind of people that are almost always in a theological argument with somebody else. Because no matter who it is and no matter what it is, they want to argue their beliefs versus somebody else's beliefs. And this is the kind of person that wants to criticize no matter what's going on. There's this large crowd in Jerusalem and Passover is a feast of obligation, which means if you're a Jewish male, doesn't matter where you live on the planet, you got to stop what you're doing. You have to go to Jerusalem and you have to celebrate this feast publicly in Jerusalem. All Jewish men were supposed to go to Jerusalem during this festival. That means when this is happening, there are a lot of people from other countries and other cultures and probably speaking other languages. They all share this Judaistic faith, but they are not from Jerusalem. And do I need to remind you, when you get people in the room that have that many differences, you're going to have sparks fly. 
So of course there's going to be some differences of opinions. Of course there's going to be some different cultures, different languages, probably different colors of skin during this moment in Israel. And there is going to be controversy. You don't have to be the kind of guy or gal that looks for controversy. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the gospel itself provides controversy, all the controversy you need. And if you don't understand the word gospel, that is just simply the good news that Jesus saves sinners. The Bible challenges us not to be the kind of guy or gal that's just looking to pick a faith fight, a theological argument with other people. There are people out there, I know them personally, that it seem like they're only looking for an argument, only looking for a fight. And one of the reasons we know from the Bible that we're not supposed to be that kind of people is because we're supposed to be gracious and we're supposed to be patient, but we're also supposed to be firm at the same time. And the way that we act and the words that we use reflect our father, which means as sons and daughters of light, you don't have to go looking for controversy. It's probably going to find you. And I kind of want to remind us all what Romans says to that controversial guy or gal out there that's always looking to get into a fight, always looking for an argument. Romans 12 verse 18 says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, that means the other guy or the other gal might be a jerk. We're not talking about them. We're only talking about you. As far as it depends on you, live at, say the next word out loud, peace. live at peace with everyone. Now that means definitely brothers and sisters in the faith. But it also means that guy or gal, that's not a Christian. Now, the gospel itself is going to be offensive. I'm going to show you in just a few moments how that's going to rub people the wrong way. You don't have to try to rub them the wrong way. What Jesus says is going to rub them the wrong way. And I'm telling you this because I really believe you and I should spend five times as much language telling what we love and what we stand for and who Jesus is and how much of a difference he can make in somebody's life. Saying the good things about the faith for that every one time that we tell people what we're against or what we hate or what the Bible criticizes. Don't get me wrong, we need to say them both. But it really feels like to me, some Christians only talk about what they're against. And the people that are outside the faith have no idea what you and I stand for. I'm telling you this from personal example. I was doing a speaking event in Wichita, Kansas years ago. And the couple of pastors that were coming together, bringing their churches together to kind of do a citywide crusade, asked me if I would come. And one of those pastors was a lightning rod of controversy the moment that he walked in the room. The other pastors that were at the table when I was sitting down having table before this speak, before this um, community event, they all started talking to him about the controversy that's going on around him in the news. And they all started saying, did you really, the news is reporting that you said X, did you really say that? And he was almost proud and arrogant about, yeah, I really made that statement. And I just sat at the table listening in awe at this conversation between this pastor and the other guys in his city. And then he made a statement that shocked me. I probably visually or visibly reacted to what he said. He said, I make controversial statements like that all the time on purpose. 
and it shocked me for a second until he explained to his other pastor friends, you see, the more the news prints about me, the more people show up to my church to hear this guy. And so I keep making controversial statements so that those statements will show up in the news so that people will keep showing up to my church so that they will hear if this guy really is saying the kind of things that the news is reporting about him. And when that dinner meal was over with, something about that attitude struck me as grossly wrong. Like you don't have to work to offend people because when they hear what Jesus says about sin and the only way to heaven, it's going to offend them plenty. So I don't have to put extra effort into offending them. And when we tell you that you belong to Two Cities Church, the number two and not the word two, we are talking about two sides of the same coin, two different cities. The one city that we refer to is this city on earth, this city right here. And you and I are supposed to be good citizens of that city. That's why we went out as a church yesterday and went to engage our community. We wanted to serve people. We wanted to meet people right where they are. We wanted to make a difference in their life. And we wanted to just show up. That's what light does, right? It shows up in the darkness and it starts to push the darkness back by just showing up in dark places. But we also went to serve yesterday hoping that we would earn the right to share with them about the King of Kings who's radically changed our life and can radically change their life too. We don't have to go to those neighborhoods looking for trouble because it's already there. And we're the light that shows up and just tries to make a difference. That's city one of the two cities from Two Cities Church. And so I'm just gonna challenge you, if you're that guy or gal, and it may not be any of you in this room like that arrogant, offensive pastor that I sat next to, you don't have to go looking for controversy. Just be gracious, and as much as it is possible with you, dwell at peace with everyone. But I need to give you the other side of the story, the other half of the coin, because controversy will find you. And when controversy finds you, I need you to make a commitment right here, right now, that you won't run from it. You see, the gospel itself is going to offend people. When they understand what it really means, that you cannot be good enough, you can't work hard enough, listen to this, you can't pray enough or give enough of your money or do enough good deeds or go on enough mission trips to earn your way into heaven. When you start to use that kind of language, it's gonna rub people the wrong way. Because what that language says is, my sin is so terrible that the only way it's possible for that sin to be cleaned up is that a perfect, sinless son of God would come and become a human sacrifice on my behalf. What you see in Lazarus is a lightning rod of controversy because when people see Lazarus, they have no choice but to admit that Jesus has the power over life and death. And if he can do that for Lazarus, then maybe he can do that for me. Maybe one of the most brilliant theological minds of the New Testament, short of Jesus and John the Baptist, 
is the great apostle Paul, who was once a Pharisee and a student of the law for most of his lifetime until Jesus radically changed him and he became a missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul describes how offensive the gospel itself is in one of his letters to the Gentile Greeks in a town called Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes how you and I should hold our ground and not run away from controversy. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and 23 say. For the Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. Paul is a guy who came from the Jewish uh, background and understands Judaism and all of its theological implications, perhaps better than anybody. And he's now writing a letter to a Greek church and he's gonna tell them about the gospel. For the Jews ask for a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Now I want you to say the next three words out loud. A stumbling block. We are going to have to camp for just a second on that word or that phrase. We preach Christ crucified, comma, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. You see, in this Greek city of Corinth, you had some of the most brilliant philosophers on the planet. And when Paul went to them and tried to explain life and death and eternity to them, it seemed like foolishness to those Gentiles, those Greek Gentiles. But Paul says, when I preached to the Jews the exact same message, that message was a stumbling block to them. A stumbling block is that stone in the road that you can't keep going down this path anymore because you're going to crash your car and there's no way that you can get around it, get over it, move beyond it. It is going to seriously upset your plans. So Paul is saying the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's controversial. To the Jews, it's going to be the controversy of a stumbling block. To the Greeks, those philosophers and those people that are trying to figure their way into heaven by their intellect, it's going to feel like the controversy of foolishness to them. And basically what he's saying is when you and I look a man or a woman in the eyes and say, do you understand that your sin is so terrible? And it doesn't matter if we're only talking about one sin one time. Maybe you just plucked a grape from the produce out of the grocery store without paying for it. That sin deserves death. And it is so offensive to a holy God that you can't undo it. No amount of good deeds for the rest of your life. You can help little old ladies across the street, but that will not get you into heaven. That one sin, one time, now deserves death. And people hear that and they're going to be offended by that statement. I don't have to be controversial because the gospel itself is controversial. The gospel says if you could be good enough to get to heaven, there was no reason for Jesus to leave heaven and to come to earth and to die in your place. Now, let's go to my favorite part of this story, the part that I have reflected on for decades. Imagine you're in a restaurant and Lazarus is eating at the table across the room. Imagine that you're in the checkout line of the grocery store and Lazarus is in the line in front of you. 
Imagine that you're at the gas station and Lazarus is fueling up his F-150 pickup truck in front of you. And every time you see Lazarus, it is a vivid reminder of who Jesus is and what he can do. And word is starting to spread around town that the religious leaders want that man dead. You've heard about it. You're not sure that Lazarus has heard about it. So you decide you, you owe it to this guy to at least let him know, hey, Lazarus, there's a fatwa. There is a religious death warrant on your head. You should probably leave the restaurant, man, and you should run out the back door and you should go home down dark alleyways so that nobody knows that you are here. And I really wish the Bible gave us this information. It doesn't. Because what I would love to know is Lazarus's response to you. When you come up to him and say, hey, Lazarus, there's a bunch of guys out there that want to kill you. Because here's what I think this thing is going to sound like. Lazarus is going to say, um, I just left heaven and I spent four days in the very presence of God himself. And my selfish sisters were insisting that Jesus calls me back from heaven. So if you think that I am at all threatened by the idea of leaving here and going to heaven. If you think those religious leaders have any power over me whatsoever by threatening me with death. I want to say bring it on. In fact, you will do me a favor by sending me back to where I just came from. So nothing that anybody does to me here has any power over me because I have been radically, totally changed by Jesus Christ. And I have been in the presence of my Father in heaven. So bring it on. Hey, I really do believe that when Lazarus hears this message, Lazarus doesn't care. And Lazarus knows he's a lightning rod for controversy. Just eating in the restaurant, just standing in the checkout line of the grocery store makes him a lightning rod for controversy because that man has been so changed by God that he doesn't fear anymore. And I really believe that this is how you and I are supposed to live. We could have taken a huge chunk of scripture today, but I didn't on purpose. I just want to camp for a second on this death threat to Lazarus. I want to ask you, are you such a good citizen of city number one? That's the eternal city. That's the heavenly city. Have you had such a glimpse of God and the beauty of his gospel and the king of kings that what happens to you here on earth doesn't matter on city number two? You see, these are the two cities the two cities church represents. Are you living like Lazarus? Because if you're living like Lazarus, people are going to persecute you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to condemn you. Jesus promises you this is going to happen. He said, they persecuted me, they criticized me, and they are definitely going to do it to my followers. He even said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when they persecute you. Because it basically demonstrates that you really are my daughter that you really are my son. And it's gonna be controversial, just living your faith out in front of unbelievers. And that's why light has no choice but to fight with darkness. There's really no way around it. There is nowhere anywhere in the universe where light and darkness 
can dwell peacefully in the same place at the same time. And it's also true of you, Christian. When you are the light of the world and you go into a dark workplace, and I know that by being in the United States Army in one of those really dark workplaces for a long time, when you go into a dark neighborhood with spiritual oppression all around you, when you go into dark circumstances and there's a lot of people that don't share your beliefs, it's going to cause controversy. Please don't go looking for it. Be gracious. Be patient. Represent your father well. But don't run from it when it happens. Stand your ground because you are building your life on a firm foundation. And when the winds blow and the rains come and the winds will blow and the rains will come, you got nothing to worry about. I'm going to put a challenge in front of us and then we're going to wrap this service up. Before the batteries on both of these phones die. And here's the challenge. And this challenge is for every believer in the room first. And then for the unbelievers in the room second. In just a moment, we'll try to show you a video about uh, the announcements for this coming week. We call it a need to know video around here. One of the things you're going to hear from Pastor Troy and his wife Siobhan is about how you can invite people to church with you on Easter Sunday. But I'm going to ask everybody in this room, would you make a commitment? In fact, if you're watching online, would you make a commitment as well that you will have one person watch the Easter broadcast with you? One person. If you come in person, would you bring one person with you in your car and they sit next to you in church? If you watch at home, would you invite one person to your house and have them watch the broadcast with you at your house? And here's how I want you to do it. Would you send one text? Would you send one email? Would you put one post on social media this week? We will give you the graphics. We will even tell you what to say and you can just copy and paste it. But will you send a message to a friend? Please listen for a second. That is far from Jesus and not in church and not interested in the things of God. Would you be the light that goes into the darkness of their world and invite them? to come in your car with you and sit next to you on Easter Sunday. Many people were raised in such an environment where they feel this sense of guilt about not going to church on Easter. So why don't we just shamelessly use that guilt for the good of the gospel? And if you're watching online, would you invite one person to sit in your home and watch the broadcast with you? This is how light penetrates darkness in our world today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.